Day and night and night and day, the living creatures give their praise. To Him who lives eternally, they never cease from saying, Holy, holy is Yahweh. Shalom all and welcome to Walking in the Word. I am Catherine of Blood of the Lamb Ministries and Heart of the Tribe. Thank you all for joining us today. As always, it is wonderful to have you with us and we're so glad that you decided to spend your precious time with us. Last week, we took a look at the history of the seven deadly sins and their origins. And we also took a look at what the scriptures had to offer on the subject. We looked at Galatians and the works of the flesh, at Proverbs and the seven things Yah has said are an abomination. We dived into the testimony of Reuben and at the seven ruacs of deceit. We also saw that there are entities that work against us, as seen in the book of Daniel, the book of Tobit, with King Saul, Mary of Magdal, Judas and many others. So although the seven deadly sins themselves are not a scriptural concept, so to speak, after that show, it was possible to conclude that we all do have tendencies that we need to learn to overcome. And these tendencies are a part of all of us, whether we know it or not, or whether we want to admit it or not. They are the fabric of what makes us human, of knowing evil as well as good, Ra as well as Tov. So using Galatians, Proverbs and Reuben, we have been able, to come, been able to group together various traits and over the coming weeks, we'll be looking at each of these lists individually and ways to overcome the things contained within them. Before we get started on this week's presentation, I want to introduce you all to my co-hosts, the wonderful Shell Wagner. Shalom Shell, it's lovely to see you today. Ah, shalom, good to be here. I'm so glad you're with me and I'm sure Shell is with me when we want to welcome home the delightful Lee Carruthers. Welcome Shalom, home. Shalom ladies. I'm so glad to see you Catherine and Shell. I missed you guys. Oh we missed, we you. missed you. We missed <laughs> It's so great to be here. I'm so excited for today. This is going to be awesome. No I think so too. I think we've like really been Finding out some interesting stuff between us, haven't we? And we have. So. And I can tell you, I'm very excited for this week. It was such an interesting subject. And Lee, really, we've missed you. And we are so glad that you're home. So <laughs> Welcome home, sister. <laughs> Thank you. So we'll say hi to a couple of people in the comments. Shalom to my lovely husband, to Helen, and to Jennifer, and to all those who are listening and haven't commented, because I see you all there. <laughs> It's lovely to have you with us. So thank you both for being here with me today. Our subject matter is going to be all about deception. From Proverbs, we have the lying tongue. From Reuben, the spirit of lying and the spirit of servitude, falling over others and chicanery, if that's how we say that word. <laughs> From Galatians, emulations and envyings. Wanting what others have, pretending to be something you're not imitating others and doing it all through trickery and deceit are all forms of lying. 
Lying comes in all shapes and sizes. And today we'll be examining those and looking into the tools that YAR has provided us with to become overcomers. So as Proverbs 12:22 says, lying lips are an abomination to Yahweh, but they that deal truly are his delight. Together, let's learn to be his delight. So my lovely Lady Lee, what do you have for us today? Well, I am excited to bring, I had picked Envyings. So I'm just going to add my PowerPoint up here. And I thought the colors were awesome for Envyings because to me, um, emotions have color. Uh, I've always been that kind of person. They have a color. They even can have a smell, you know. There's all your senses can be involved with these things. And as a nurse, of course, it's going to have to deal with bringing in the senses. Uh, and this was very interesting for me. I found a lot of things out that I didn't really know. Um, Envying and envy to me uh, kind of seem more like jealousy, but we're going to see Although it may entail that, there's a lot, there's a difference here. Um, so I got into the Hebrew and the, the Hebrew word for envy that I could find was kana. And it's also spelled with that Q right there, kana with a Q. That was from Brown Driver Briggs. Uh, but from Strong's, I got kana. And I did pull up the pictograph here yeah. um, for Kana, which was the Cove, the Noon, and the Aleph. And this was very interesting. One definition that I found for this pictograph said that it was a strong protection over one's nest to the strongest degree. Mm -hmm. um, I look at this and I see the go around or a repeated cycle. This is like a circling cycle. Think about when you envy something or someone, it's hard to get out of that. You're in this revolving cycle, a repeated cycle. The seed of life or gifts is that noon, right? So that could be your life or your possessions. And uh, the Aleph is the leader, the head, or at the strongest level, um, so I kind of see that as this emotion that you get where it's it's almost like a coveting and you're stuck in this circle of it uh, at looking at someone else's life, at someone else's gifts. And and we're going to see on my next slide what that entails a little bit. But the Brown Driver Briggs or I'm sorry, the Strong's Concordance, the primitive root meaning is literally to become very red. So that is definitely an emotion that you get when you're envying is it red as envy, right? Um, yeah. That jealousy, uh, you're burning and burning with zeal is another one uh, meaning that came up in Strong's. And then under Brown Driver uh, Briggs, we see to envy, to be jealous, be envious, be zealous, um, to excite, to jealous anger. There is, there is more of an action to envy than just being uh, jealous. And we're going to see what that is here. Uh, first, I wanted to bring, uh, there were a lot more verses that 
show us envy uh, than this. But these are the ones I wanted to pick out uh, to bring forward as we go into this, just to get a little understanding. Um, Job 5.2, for wrath kills the foolish man and envy slays the silly one. I mean, I understand that completely. Uh, the the wrath is is anger. We shouldn't be doing that. But the envy is something that you do that is really just a, it is a silly emotion because you're really just wanting someone else's life or possessions. It's not just their possessions. You envy a person and it can carry, we're going to see, it can carry some other emotions with it, not just that envy. Proverbs 3.31, envy not the oppressor and choose none of his ways. Proverbs 14.30, a sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Boy, that really drags it in there to let you understand that these emotions, uh, they're, they're going to cause a rot to your Ruach. I mean, it will rot your Ruach from the inside out. Your spirit will be damaged from this and from that, your life. I've seen people that no matter what they get, they're always envying someone else's something, you know, whatever it is. Why not focus on what you have and your blessings? But there's always that draw. Well, they've got this. Well, their life is that. Well, they have this job. And you don't even know what they went through to get those things, right? Yeah. We all walk hard walks to get where we are. Um, they aren't just things that just because you're a, a good person, you've got this stuff. There was work involved to get where you're at. Um, Proverbs 23, 17. Let not your heart envy sinners, but be in the fear of Yahweh all the day long. We don't we see that now. Everything that's on TV is geared to make people envy these uh, Hollywood movie stars and athletes, pro athletes, and the ridiculous amount of wealth that that they are showered in. And and you see these on TV and our children see these and they think that is something to aspire to be in their life. And they learn to envy. They really do learn to envy. It's in your face. 24 7 uh, proverbs 27 4 wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous but who is able to stand before envy <laughs> we can't <laughs> we have to have backup and we we're gonna see we have him um ecclesia and that's not it's ecclesia i can't ever say the word ecclesia ecle someone help me <laughs> <laughs> Ecclesiastes. There you go. I can't mm. ever say that or the Ecclesiasticus. <laughs> Although I just said it. <laughs> Nine six. Also, their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Isaiah eleven thirteen. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart and the adversaries of Yehuda shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Yehuda and Yehuda shall not vex Ephraim. All examples that we're going to see even in today's time. Isaiah 26, 11, Yahweh, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see. 
but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy of the people. Yea, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Wow, I don't want any of that in my life. So envy regards our sadness in reaction to someone else's good. It is a disordered sorrow over something that someone else has and a wish to detract from it. We want to detract that from them. And, and we're going, we can use these ways of deception uh, to do that. We want to undermine those people when we have envy in our heart, right? We want to make them seem not as good. Things are going well for the other person and not for you. And there is resentment towards them. And to me, envy feels like not trusting Yahweh to provide the same for us. By having envy, we are basically saying to Yahweh that he isn't going to provide the things that we think we deserve. And I think that's the issue. It's not the things that we need. We don't need the big car, the big house, the lavish clothes, their perfect job that we think is perfect. We don't need any of that to survive. So all that that is doing is turning us away from Yahweh when we let that spirit of envy into our system, right? And as I dug into this, I found uh, Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself also into Yahweh and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So right there, we must put our trust in Yahweh that he's going to know what our desires are. And if we are in complete communion with him, if we're in an intimate relationship with him where we're talking to him, he knows before we know what our desires of our heart are. There's no reason for us to have that envy for anyone else. Because he already knows it and he loves us and he's going to give us those things that we need. And it may not be everything that we want, but I assure you, he hears you. He absolutely hears you and he loves you and he wants you to have those things. He really does. He may not make you an NBA superstar making a million dollars, but you're going to be taken care of. And if we are focused on him, our happiness will come directly from him. So in Psalms 37, 5, we see, Commit your way unto Yahweh. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Again, envy to me, I, the more I think about it and the more I've prayed on it, it's, it's literally us thinking that Yahweh is not going to provide for us. So with these, I, I dug into the fruit of the Ruach. I wasn't really sure which way I was going to go into this. But he pulled me into this in such a way. He just wanted me to, to convey and to even understand for myself how each of these fruit of the Ruach is what we need to combat envy. So Galatians 5.23, um, we see, or 5.22, but the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law put in place. So that reading that alone tells me, look, all of the answers you need to course correct, as Shell says often, course correct your life strictly on Yahweh is to always be looking to the fruit of the Ruach. And when you come to a situation where you feel like you are 
exhibiting some envy. We can dig into these and find the answers to how to overcome that. So the first love, which is Ahava in Hebrew, is connected directly with action and obedience to have affection for. Hebraically, Ahava is a verb and a noun, and it is an act of doing, of giving devotion and time. So it's not just a feeling that you can flip a light switch on or not on and off, right? We all in in the English context, we think love is just this emotion. It's really not. It's an action. It's something that you have to do. You have to be obedient. And when you are in obedience, you're not going to have room to have envy for anything because you're going to realize you're just as loved as anyone else. Absolutely. So here we see in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is Elohim, and everyone that loves is born of Elohim and knows Elohim. Well, if we're doing that, we're not going to envy our neighbor or someone at work. We're going to love them. We're already going to have the affection for them that we not only do we love them, but we're happy for them. In, in their good fortune, right? And the things that they have that are good because that's what Yahweh chose for them. And he chooses for us what we have. And in all things, we have to realize whatever we have that we've asked for and not asked for, it comes directly from our father. So joy's next, Simcha, which is gladness or joy. And I love joy because, and I'm, I meant to put in here, our joy is from Yahusha. Our joy is knowing that the sin and the death from sin was taken. And we have the choice to follow Yahusha's walk. We can love our neighbor. We can love the Lord. We can love Yahweh with all our heart, mind, and soul. And we can love our neighbor. And, and that is our joy. He's given us that ability to be able to do that. Our sin is not death to us. We repent and we can get right back on the path. Thank you, Yah, for that. Because uh, I need to repent every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> so human. So Psalm 1611, we see, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I really don't need to, to hear anything else than that. Um, the path of life is through Yahusha. And I feel this is this was a foreshadowing most definitely of what is offered to us to be on the narrow path, uh, to follow the commands and to stay in obedience, just like it said earlier, we must be obedient and envy is not obedience. It's not, it's selfishness and it's about our flesh. And I think with all of these, that's the one thing I keep noticing is they all involve being stuck in your flesh, you know, caring just about yourself when we should be caring about others and lifting them up more than we are wanting ourselves to be exalted. So peace is next. Shalom. It's both hello and goodbye, but it's also a feeling of contentment, completeness, wholeness, well-being, and harmony. And when we're in content, we're content with Yahweh. 
there's no way you can envy. So that is a definite uh, way to combat that the sin of envy is to always just have contentment and completeness and wholeness because he does complete us. He does make us whole. Shella said before, you know, Yahusha knits us back together. He knitted us back together, right? He's pulling all of these parts back to the body. So we are complete with him, with the Ruach HaKodesh within us. We are complete and we should have that contentment. And, and I make it a practice now when I start feeling any for for one second thinking i wish i had this i stop it i just stop it right then because you know what i have everything that i need i don't need anything else and if he chooses for me to have it that's great if not i'm happy with what i've got so philippians 4 6 be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto Elohim. If you need something, if you want something, you take it to the Father. And if it's meant to be, you'll get it. And if it's not, then you move on. Because sometimes it's on his time schedule. If it's something you really need or want, you keep that in your prayers. But his time schedule is not our time schedule. And we have to learn patience to understand that. And that ties into a lot of this, right? We have to be patient on, on Yahweh because he does hear you. But there may be a thousand things going on in the background that we don't know anything about that he's trying to get lined up. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, I see what you did there. You had to work this and this and this. And then here we are, you know, there's no reason to envy anybody's anything because he's working on whatever it is that you need and want. You just have to be patient and have faith. So Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of Elohim, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Mashiach, Yahusha. Let's see here. Long suffering was next. And this one was Mach, Mach growth. Thumia, the Greek word, means long-tempered or patient. Long-suffering is not weak or meek, and it is someone strong in character and bold in resisting rash reactions. This was one that blew me away. Because long-suffering, you just think that means, oh, I'm just going to be suffering forever. You know, <laughs> I just have to suffer forever. I just have to take it. But it has nothing to do with being weak or meek. It has to do with being strong in your own character to be bold and realize I could react rashly to this. I could lose my temper. I could envy. I could be so angry because they got that promotion and I didn't get it. And I'm going to go start this rumor about them because that really upset me. You know, absolutely not. <laughs> Second Peter, Peter 3 9, Yahweh is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us work, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see that there's just differences of, of these words than we really. I, no one ever explained completely to me what that meant. And what I thought it meant was absolutely nothing like that. 
it gives you a whole nother way of combating these emotions that may come up that aren't really even in from you, actually. You know, Hasatan knows exactly how to push our buttons and he wants you to re react, ra you know, with rash behavior. He really wants that to happen. And he knows how to make it happen by showing you someone else rising while you're stuck wherever you're at, when really that's not the whole picture at all. People that also, one thing James and I have talked about a lot on our trip driving, was uh, people that live in the world that worship money, that worship these things, they do seem to be the ones that get it all, aren't they? Like they have these huge houses and these cars, but then you see they're not happy. You know, they're in and out of rehab or they're multiple divorces, you know, and then you see horrible things happen. Multiple, multiple very rich people commit suicide. Like they can't get their happiness from those things. They're so empty and there's an emptiness there. You know, when we put our faith in Yahweh and we get what he gives us, we're content. We're whole. There's a wholeness there. You know, I've, I've even realized in the last four years, if I was taking down to I've lost everything, it really wouldn't matter because I know in the grand scheme of things, he loves me and he has me and I have him. And that is enough for it is enough. And that's one thing, another thing to combat envy and anybody's anything is you have Yahweh and it is enough, period. End of story. You don't need to go any further into anything else of why I don't have this or why I don't have that. I have Yahweh for it is enough. End of story. <laughs> Next is gentleness. And this is another one that was very interesting to me. Anva. Mildness. It's also a uh, Con concretely oppressed gentleness meekness caring for someone even if they did wrong unto you gentleness isn't just having a gentle nature it's being able to still care for someone even if they did a horrible wrong to you and i do know something about this that you've got sometimes you to to exhibit these fruits of the ruach just like yahusha did we have to care for those that have hurt us so deeply. You know, I think often there was this song Brother Lee and Catherine had played before by the Exodus, uh, what is it, the Exodus Road Band. And there's the one song about, uh, it's it's from the perspective of the thief on the cross. And he's, he's singing in the song about how he cried out, you know, to remember him. And, and he knows he doesn't deserve, you know, his forgiveness, but he gets it, right? So that just touches my heart so much. That's the gentleness. That's gentleness is to be able to love someone who's done nothing to be gentle to you. They're absent that gentleness. <laughs> and boy, Yahushua gives us that example, you know, like in living color, you know, every time I think, oh, I can't forgive that or i can't care about this i realize he's cared for enemies as they yes remember me exodus road band wonderful wonderful song just brings me to tears because of it is such 
an example of the gentleness exhibited to us. Oh, no. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why that just shut off. So uh, let's see here. James 3.16. For where envying and strife is, there, there is confusion and every evil work. James 3.17. For the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceably, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's gentleness. Uh, wisdom comes from gentleness. It really does. At 318, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Absolutely loved getting into the gentleness. Next is goodness, chesed. It's mentioned 400 times in the Bible. That was so interesting to me, how important goodness is. And it translates mostly as kindness in the Torah and as mercy in the Besorah in the New Testament. So it's kindness in the Torah and then mercy, uh, which I found very interesting. Um, goodness is kind. You, I would just consider it's all of that. It's kindness and mercy. So in Exodus 34, 6, we see, and Yahweh passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh El, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. I absolutely love that about our father. I really do because he, he is so merciful and gracious to us and long suffering as we learned up here. <laughs> Romans 16, 24, the grace of our Adonai, Yahushua HaMashiach be with you all. I mean, which is his goodness, right? The grace is his goodness. Faith was very interesting as well. Imuna is an action-oriented word, again, with an action. It's not just something that you just switch on and off. It's actually an, an action. So it means support. And I love this. There was a whole article I read about this, that our faith should be a supporting action towards Yahuwah. So we are supporting Yahuwah through our Imuna through our faith. It's not just, I'm having faith in my mind. It's, it's an action oriented. Our faith supports Yahuwah. And that's, this was from Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So supporting Yahweh, he supports us and we live by that. I absolutely love that. It just touched my heart. All of this, diving into this, just really was so eye-opening uh, for both James and I. It was just amazing. Meekness is the, the meekness and temperance we're going to see is just, wow, totally not what I thought. Anava, meekness, humility or modesty. And it refers to someone who is afflicted or bearing a heavy burden. It's not just acting, you know, quiet, 
which is what I always thought, you know, be quiet and be small. It's largely, largely explained about the circumstance someone is willing to endure. What are you willing to endure? Rather than a state of succumbing to it. You know, the English comes through the old Norsk, and I cannot say that word, uh, M-J-U-K-R, and it means gentle, though the fuller understanding comes from the Greek, praus, and it translates as strength under control. Wow. The example it gave was in Greece, the war horses were trained to be meek, although strong and powerful, yet under control and willing to submit. So meekness isn't weakness. It really isn't. It, there's a strength to that. You have to be pretty powerful sometimes to, to be meek under Yahuwah, yet strong enough and willing to submit to him. That's very different than picturing someone just being so meek. And, and of course, this blew me away with Moshe because a lot of times in church, they present him that he was just, to me, it always seemed like he was frail and quiet and, and just, you know, so meek and weak, but he wasn't. He had such strength and control that he was willing to submit to Yahweh no matter what storm was brewing inside of him. And I'm sure there were times he was a lot madder with people than he let out. <laughs> I believe that. So Numbers 12.3, we see, Now the man Moshe was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And my whole new way of looking at this is he was strength under control. And wow, that is eye-opening to me. In Proverbs 15.33, The fear of Yahweh is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. All of these we have to be willing to submit to Yahweh. We have to have that strength. And when we have that, envy can't exist. It can't thrive. It can't get a hold of you at all. If we are that strength under control, then we can control what we're looking at and what we're thinking and what we're wishing on others. You know, we have to control what we are thinking and saying. Temperance is modesty in Hebrew. And it was hats ne'al chet. And in Hebrew, the hats ne'ah means act in modesty, to be modest. And the second word, the lechet, means walk and in your ways. The English is moderation, temperance, uh, moderacy, moderacy, there we go, moderacy, mildness, prudence, patience, and self-control. I read a whole article about this as well. And in the Hebrew text, they say it has absolutely nothing to do with self-control. Um, in Hebrew, they say it's the it's synonymous to the meekness, uh, humility, and modesty, which I found very interesting because when you're envying someone else, it usually has nothing to do with the meekness, humility, or modesty. It's, it's, it's usually a lavish thing that you're envying about, a, a job, their house, you know, their position, uh, what have you. You know, it has nothing to do with being modest. And when we are modest, 
we dress ourselves in that obedience. And that's, that's really how I look at that modesty and the meekness is that we, not only is that strength, but we, we dress ourselves in that obedience. And it's, it's you focused and you minded. And when, again, when you are that way, every single day you wake up like that, there's, there's no room for that envy to creep in. You, you're not envious of anything. There's no reason to be because you're so blessed every day. In Micah 6, 8, we see, He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what Yahweh requires of you, but to, to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your Elohim. And that is the end of mine, I do believe. Can you guys hear me still, I hope? Yes, we oh, can yeah. hear you. That was absolutely wonderful, Lee. Well done. That was that was great. There were some really, really interesting things in there. Well, uh, there was so much I found that just, I was like, wow. Yeah. That is not at all what I thought. When absolutely you, enjoyed this so much. When you were talking about just when you began talking about envy and it being like this circular thing, you know, like a rut, like a mental rut. It's exactly what I got from it, Shell. Yeah. You know, something that you have just thought this way for so long. Just over and over. Dug yourself into a trench and you don't know how to even get back out of it. I mean, and that's what that the word of Yah is then like your ladder or your rope, you know, yeah. <laughs> to pull yourself up out of that rut. Right. It's, it's yeah. a bit like having um, someone living in your head rent free, isn't it? You're just letting that person go round and round in your mind all the time. That's no, exactly I, it, Catherine. You're exactly right. And I've yeah. definitely had an issue uh, with that in my life where I just felt, you know, <laughs> man, I'm struggling. I'm working so hard and they've got this, that, and the other. And here I'm doing good to be able to keep food on the table. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. What a I know I wrote down when you were talking out of your life. Yeah. I wrote down envy as a distraction when you were talking about that particular part that it seems like it's just to distract you, isn't it? From it is. Yeah. From what you're supposed to be doing, carry on, right. Sean. Yeah, right. that, yeah, absolutely. Well, and and you started talking about you know an emotion of it when you were talking about how sadness in reaction to someone else's good. What yes. a great description of what it feels like. You know, it does. you get yourself in that rut, because I've been there. I'm not sitting up on some tower, you know, going, oh, I've never done this. No, I, I have, like any human, you know, yeah. I've had to work through a lot of that. Oh, gosh, when I first came in to start walking with y'all, that was one of the first things that began to plague me was this spirit of envy because I was coming out of such garbage and I had, I had walked a long way into the enemy's camp and I had a long road to get back out and, and envy me really plagued me in that. And yeah. And to express it that way as sadness in reaction to someone else's good, you know, well, what about me? You know, and that's of being where the depression that's yeah. how the depression gets a hold of you. Like I have literally felt so grieved and sad. Like there's a 
a grievous side to it. You know, why? Uh, yes, self-pity, Marley. <laughs> That's it, exactly, exactly what it is. Yeah. That is exactly what it was. You know, after my mom passed away, she, you know, would help when I needed help. And then here I was with no help at all. And and boy, I I had that self-pity party on a daily basis, you know, while I envied. And it is more of a sadness to me, you know, but then you get mad and you're like, oh, what did they do to deserve that? And I didn't there. You know, it's just you're in that rut. And it's an awful yeah. feeling. It is. And it does rot your soul. It, it will rot your rewalk. And I spent many years making myself sick, basically, uh, in that behavior. And yeah. praise y'all. You know, once we focus on him, oh, my goodness, your whole life changes. I could live in a shoebox, basically, and be happy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and what a that's that's freeing. It is. Yeah. It's freedom in y'all. It really is because he's got me no matter what, no matter where I am. He's got me, period. Yeah. Don't need anything else. And uh, my husband, Lee, brother Lee, he actually said the exact same thing as you. We should be like the Levites and be happy with Yahuwah being our portion. Uh, that really you. confirmed your whole point. I thought. Mm -hmm. That's Very exactly much. right. For he is enough. And I, I, I have that line in my head a lot. Like that is that is my go-to when I'm like, ah, ah, don't you go there thinking that you need this, that, or the other. You've got Yahweh, and He is enough. And yeah, I'm good after that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how we come up with the little sayings each in our own way that bring us back into correct alignment. You were talking about that phrase, course correction, and I got that from you. <laughs> you you talked about that the first show that we did and it hit me so strong that i've used it ever since but that originated with you because <laughs> i have definitely been one to course correct it's like a gps that's gone after off the rails a minute you know it's like you missed your turn take the next left turn <laughs> yeah yeah gosh course and you had some you had so many other good points. I just, I, I, I wrote down what really hit me when you talked about long suffering and I thought, you know, wow, Yah himself being long suffering has resisted being rash in his reactions to our mistakes and a good thing because I would not be here if he was not long suffering. Me There's no either. way. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I feel like he does this a lot. Like, oh, what is he doing now? <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> That's so funny. And then when you were talking about the gentleness of being able to care for those who did you wrong. Wow. Powerful. Very powerful. That hit me last night when I was going back through that. I tell you, sometimes when I'm working on these, it's a good thing I can keep my emotions under control because half the time when I'm doing this, I'm crying or just like, and then you end up in deep prayer because you're like, wow, like, why have I never seen this? Why have I never understood the depth of his gentleness? Because it wasn't just that he was a passive person, you know? There's so much strength 
even in Moshe, like even seeing that part, just he wasn't a weak man. He was chosen because he was able to control his strength, you know, yeah. for the obedience. <laughs> and Yah knew that. He knew, he knows each of us, you know. Yeah. No, I this, thought that was great when you brought out that modesty and meekness is like that self-control. I never thought of them in that way, but it is, isn't it? Self-control. Yes. Beautiful, that, yeah. Lee, honestly. Gorgeous. Yeah, you did a great job. I loved it. Did. I was just thinking when you were talking just then, you know, that's probably why you all hates divorce, isn't it? Because you end up being jealous and envying either the person's past husband or wife or the life right. you weren't a part of. Right. It can be very hurtful. Thing it really experience. can. And then you're in that depression and sadness in this circle, just going through it over and over. And, you know, sometimes I just want to tell people, look, you can stop this. You actually can stop this. And, th and that's what I had to do to myself, actually, to get on this walk was like, you actually don't have to do this anymore. You actually don't have to be sad, depressed and hurt. You actually have a choice and it's Yahweh. And yeah. you just have to oh, take I the imagine. first step, you know, <laughs> yeah, one foot in front of the other on that narrow path. And sometimes it literally is just a prayer with every little footstep forward, you know, but boy, he's got us the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Marty agreeing with you there. Wow. Lee, you know, really is true. Amen. Sister beautifully. But when you were talking about the rich as well, you know, I was thinking, correct me if I say this verse wrong, cause I'm just doing it off the top of my head. So the rich strike themselves through with many sorrows. It's something like mm. that, isn't it? You know, yeah, that's what yeah. I was thinking of, you know, like we envy what they've got, but having more actually means you hurt yourself more. Like you were saying that most of them end up in rehab or someone, not that the poor don't end up in those places too, but most end up yeah. in rehab or in a dire situation or murdering somebody, normally their spouse, so they can keep all their money to themselves. You know, we see horrible things, don't we, from yeah. being wealthy. I used to watch, um, you know, see what all the celebrities were doing when I was younger. It was a thing. You get your Vogue magazine or your <laughs> People magazine or whatever so you can see what they're all up to. And, and what is it? It's all scandal. It's all yeah. Yeah. that's what gets people flipping through the pages, though. And now watching uh, the reality TV, whatever uh, is on now, uh, it's really nothing to envy. It's really not. And they're not happy. And you no. can see by, you know, this one's been married four or five times, six times, you know, and here they are with this and that or like the Johnny Depp trial that took over the airwaves. Like it's it. No one's happy. How could they be happy? <laughs> you know, they just I don't I don't get how any of that's happy. I don't envy any of that. I just I really yeah. don't. I used yeah. to think that that was, you know. They make you think you've arrived when you are rich or famous or whatever. That's the goal. And it's not. That's Hasatan's mm -hmm. goal for you. He wants you to destruct yourself. And that's yeah. how you do it is you love yeah. money and you love things and you envy everybody. And he keeps everybody in that circle of um, it's a jail. Basically, you're in jail. You're in a jail going through the same motions over and over uh, repeating the same action and expecting a different outcome, you know, <laughs> never going to happen. The <laughs> definition of insanity. <laughs> yep. 
But Yah's the answer to that. And and every one of the fruit of the Ruach, I just got deeper and deeper into it. It was like, just really the basic line is, if you're focused on Him and your obedience to Him, there's no way you can pay attention to anybody else's anything, right? Right. Because you're focused on Him and that's that. Beautiful, Lee. Absolutely yeah. wonderful. Thank you very much for that. You know, it's yeah. really insightful. I love how you've gone through all those different fruits of the spirit too and yeah. put them in their proper context gorgeous thank you so much so the lovely shell what have you got for us all right well let me go ahead and add my screen how do i do that now <laughs> you did it <laughs> it's like my button there it is my button was gone for it add to the stream yay, yay. <laughs> okay <laughs> so my topic was basically um looking at different aspects of deception and so i i entitled mine discerning patterns of deception so i was looking at the different things these were the there were kind of four basic bullet points that that cat had put in in the description for me and and this was it it was a spirit of servitude which is like a fawning over others oh you're just so pretty and oh you're just so talented and oh you're just so wonderful and oh everything you say is brilliant right that's kind of a fawning over someone and then there is chicanery and it is deception through trickery Right. And so we're going to look deeper into each of these things. Officious attention, being excessively forward in offerings, one services or advice to others, especially where these services are unnecessary or unwanted. So it's like trying to get in there and get a. You see something that you want in somebody else's life or in somebody else's what you perceive, right? And you're determined that you're gonna ingrain yourself in them, in that so that you can be a part of it, you know? It's not necessarily what y'all wanted to give to you, but you've decided it's like, I heard a story one time and there was this box of kittens, right? There's a box of kittens. And so the box of kittens, um, the guy decides, oh, I would really like one of those kittens, right? So you reach your hand in to grab the kitten and then the kitten's claws are in you, right? <laughs> so you don't necessarily have the kitten, but the kitten has you. And I see that in this with, with this officious attention. It's somebody who they're, they're, you know, acting like they really like you, but what they're wanting is to dig in to who you are and what they perceive you to be and what, you know, they want to ride along with you. Right. Um, then there is to be fair in seeming. It's like trying to seem as if you're something um, you are not. 
So being fake to cause things to turn to your favor, you know, you're presenting yourself like you're say you go on a job interview and you're like, oh, and and you narcissist interview really well, right? <laughs> they have this huge personality that can go, oh, yes. And I've because they'll read a sentence or two and memorize it and then just repeat it and act it out during the interview. And it makes it seem like they actually know what they're talking about until they sit down to do the job. <laughs> right. And then they don't really know what they're doing. So that's kind of being that fair and seeming. You're presenting yourself in a way that's just certainly not true. Okay. So that's where I started. So then I went into the question, am I being deceived? And it's funny. You notice I kind of use this grayish background. I was thinking like you were, Lee, the color represents to me because it's like, is it white? Is it gray? Is it black? Is it, you know, you just don't know how to quite describe it. It's cloudy <laughs> is yeah. what it is, right? So am I being deceived? Deception by nature means those who are experiencing it don't realize it, right? You don't know what's happening to you. You're being deceived. So yeah. anyone, any one of us are subject to deception at any time, right? That's the very nature of it. Look, looking in 2 Timothy 1, uh, 4, 3, and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Right. And so the opposite of deception is truth. I was really, you know, I've been really digging into that this week. Um, I did my mercy poured forth on uh, the Ruach Emet, the Ruach of truth. And I just did part one today. I've got part two coming up tomorrow. And so I'm just really continuing to dig into this. And it's a good thing that I also spread it out between uh, mercy poured forth because I have a lot of stuff to share. <laughs> We'd be here forever. So, trying to break it down. I spent time trying to slash, right? That's always my biggest problem is saying less. <laughs> so what is deception? And in what ways do the scriptures show it manifesting? So let's take a look at that. So we're going to start with this fawning, okay, this fawning over someone expressed as a spirit of servitude. Oh, you're just so wonderful. And I just think you have so much to offer someone. And I could do this for you to enhance your ministry. And I could do that for you to enhance your ministry. And let me just, you know, help you because you're just the greatest thing that ever was since pizza was invented, right? It's this servile way of behaving. And, and if there, if, if someone is doing this with someone who is subject to that type of flattering spirit because they are deceived within themselves. I mean, it's got a hook in it and it'll hook you, you know? So flattery, looking at this in the Hebrew is halak, right? And I've got it kind of uh, put down here. I put the pictograph. We've got a het, a lamed, and a kuf. So, you know, you see, you see this division from the shepherd's staff, right? A division from the shepherd's leading. And instead, 
looking at maybe what should have been left behind. That's kind of what I'm seeing in that. You know, we we may have to develop this word picture some. I'm finding that the more that we work together and we end up developing our word pictures further. So so there's one for us to to continue to develop, right? Ezekiel 12, uh, starting in verse 21, is where I was seeing this in the scriptures. And the word of Yahweh came unto me, saying, Son of Adam, what is that proverb that ye have in the land of Yasharel, saying, The days are prolonged and every vision fails? Tell them, therefore, thus says Adonai Yahweh, I will make this proverb to cease, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Yasharel. But say unto them, The days are at hand, and the effect of every vision. For there shall no more, for there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Yasharel. We can see right here, Yah says, there's coming a point. I'm putting a stop to this. I know from the world that we live in that we're not at that point yet. <laughs> this has not been fulfilled, right? <laughs> because we're living with it all the time. But there will come a point when Yah does not put up with it any longer. So then I also saw this in Proverbs 5.3. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. So this smoother, the strange woman is the Hebrew word zur, right? That's the strange woman and her her words are smooth. That's the flattery, okay? So that the smoother is flattery. It's smooth, right? It just... Ooh, it just slides like oil, right? But Zor, the strange woman. So here's what I saw. We've got a, um, a Zion. We've got a Vav and a Resh, Zor. So the Zion, of course, is like a plow. It's a weapon. It's an ox head. It chops. It, it you know, plucks up, okay? A plow or a weapon that cuts, that destroys is connected to the thoughts, right, in the rush, the thoughts that come from the mind of men and their leaders or chiefs, because that's what this is. It's like the mind of, of man and the mind of the chief, the mind of the prince, the mind of the one who's in charge, okay? So you can see that. So this, this strange woman is designed to destroy, you know, their leadership skills even, right? And the brown driver Briggs, to be strange or a stranger, to become estranged, loathsome breath, a prostitute or a harlot, one who is alienated. In the etymological dictionary of biblical Hebrew, zur means to separate out from others. So it's an action word. And that she's got, there's a purpose in it. The strange woman, the lips of the strange woman, they're dropping flattery, right? But what is it designed to do? It is designed to separate you out from your brothers and sisters. It's designed to make you feel special. 
right? To elevate you in your own mind and then take you away from the counsel of your brothers and sisters who may have given a better counsel to you had you been surrounded by a multitude of counselors rather than hooked by the words of the strange woman who was sent literally to plow into what you were doing and hook you and remove you from others that could have helped you. It's like that abuser, isn't it? That's what they do. An abuser comes in and separates you from everybody else. Wow, Shal. Yeah. Really interesting, isn't it? That is so amazing. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. It is. Okay. So I wanted to read this because here's, here's kind of like that when you can see the insidiousness, how it sets itself up, right? And so I saw this with Ahab and the false prophets. So I just wanted to read this. It's First Kings 22. And I'm just going to read the story. I'm starting in verse one. And they continued three years without war between Aram and Yasharel. And it came to pass in the third year that Yahushaphat, the king of Yahuda, came down to the king of Yasharel. And the king of Yasharel said unto his servants, Know you that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still and take it not out of the hand of the king of Aram? He's like, don't we need to go to war and take this? It's ours, right? And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Yasharel, to Ahab, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He's like, yeah, I'm with you, brother. (laughs) We got this. Let's do it. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Yasharel, before we do this, inquire, I pray you, at the word of Yahweh today. Then the king of Yasharel gathered the prophets together about 400 men and said unto them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall I forbear, right? Is it the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? And they all said, all 400, go up for Adonai shall deliver it into the hand of the king. They all had a flattering word to give to the king, right? And Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of Yahweh? besides that we might inquire of him, he's recognizing this is not the word of Yahweh. It's a flattering word. Don't we have a true prophet? That's what he's asking. Let's ask a true prophet. And the king of Yashorel said unto Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man, Micaiahu, the son of Yimlah, by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him. For he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Yasharel called an officer and said, hasten hither, Micaiahu, the son of Yimlah. And the king of Yasharel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda, sat each other, sat each on his throne having put on their kingly robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Shamron. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. So those 400 are still, oh, you're wonderful. Oh, you'll win. Oh, Yah's with you, right? You can just hear it. The same thing, the flattering, right? 
And Zedekiahu, the son of Kenanah, made him horns of iron. He said, so now he's going to do it with, with a, a display, right? He's going to put on a play for them with props. <laughs> That's going to be his flattery, right? So he makes horns of iron. And he said, thus says Yahweh, with these shall you push the Amarim until you have consumed them. I mean, you can really see he was very charismatic in the way that he was going to deliver his flattery. And all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for Yahweh shall deliver it into the king's hands. And the messenger that was gone to call Mikiyahu spoke unto him saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let your word, I pray you, be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. He was warning him, don't you dare go in there before the kings and say something different than what we've already said. We've said this. You better be agreeing with us. I mean, he was he was bullying, right? He was being a tyrant, Okay. So here's, and Micaiah said, and Yahweh, as Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says unto me, that will I speak. He's like, I'm not bowing down to your intimidation. I'm not bowing down to your bullying tactics. You're not going to be tyrannical with me. And I'm not going to be disobedient to Yah. Whatever Yah has to say to me, that's what I'm going to speak. So don't expect anything different right? Because he was the true prophet. So he came to the king and the king said unto him, Mikiyahu, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And he answered, go and prosper for Yahweh shall deliver it into the hand of the king, right? And you can almost see him dripping with sarcasm as he says it, right? Mm -hmm. He does what, what he's been told, only give this word. But the king knows this isn't real. And the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure you that you tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of Yahweh? Because <laughs> he knows. And he said, I saw all Yasharel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. And Yahweh said, they have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Yasharel said unto Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would prophesy no good concerning me, but evil? He's like, I told you he would disagree, right? And he said, hear therefore the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne. So this is uh, the, the true prophet, Micaiah, again, speaking. And he said, this is what I saw in my vision. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him, on his right hand and on his left. And Yahuwah said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Right? He was saying, I'm done with Ahab's leadership. Who, who's going to persuade him? How are we going to get him to go ahead and go into battle? That's what Yah was asking. And one said on this manner and another said on this manner, like they, it was the council. It's the courtroom, right? It's Yah's courtroom where things are like this are decided. So one was saying, well, we could do this. And another was saying, well, we could do this, right? He was getting the council. And there came forth a Ruach and stood before Yahweh and said, 
I will persuade him. And Yahweh said unto him, wherewith? He's like, so how are you going to do it? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying Ruach in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. And he, Yah knew that this is what would work. Why? Because Ahab loved flattery. He loved to have people fawn over him and agree with him and pump him up. Right. And so he would fall for that every single time. And Yahweh said, okay, and now therefore behold, Yahweh has put a lying Ruach in the mouth of all these, your prophets. So Mickey, really, I mean, he tells him, this is what's happening. The king knows this, right? He's been, this has been revealed. Yahweh has put a lying Ruach in the mouth of all these, your prophets. And Yahweh has spoken evil concerning you. But Zedekiah, the son of Kenanah, went near and smote Mikiyahu on the cheek. He just went up and slapped him. So this is one of the prophets, right? This was the one, uh, was this the one that told him, don't say anything, don't disagree, right? But same thing, the prophet, one of the ones saying, don't you dare, right? So he smites him on the cheek and said, which way went the Ruach Yahweh from me to speak unto you? What happens immediately when you disagree with the lying Ruach, with the lying flattery, they attack you and start mocking you, right? You can see it. The attack starts right away. And Mikiyahu said, behold, you shall see in that day when you shall go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. He's like, wow, something's coming for you, buddy. You better watch out because he's already seen what Yah has planned. And the king of Yasharel said, take Mikiyahu and and ever and carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Yoash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, put this fellow in the prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I come in peace. He's like, starve him out. <laughs> Start just absolutely starve him until I come back peacefully. And Mikiyahu said, If you return at all in peace, Yahweh has not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, O people, every one of you. He was like, Listen and pay attention and watch what happens. Right? So we see that. All right, moving on to the next one chicanery. When I took a look at chicanery, what I saw was trickery or deception by quibbling or sophistry, a quibble or a subterfuge used to trick, deceive, or evade. Well, the first thing I had to ask myself is what in the world is quibbling? Because I had no idea, right? So... So I first, I didn't know the definition of chicanery. Then I didn't know the definition of quibble. <laughs> so this is what I found. It's the use of ambiguous or irrelevant language or arguments for the purpose of evading a point that is at issue. Now, everybody's really familiar with this story. And, and this is why I picked it. King David and Uriah in 2 Samuel 11, right? So what did he do? He, he had sinned greatly, right? And we're going to see that. He sins greatly. But what does he do? He tries to confuse the matter. 
by, you know, having um, him sent home, trying to get him to sleep with his wife to hide the fact that he's made Uriah's wife pregnant. Right. So he's trying to evade something. He's trying to cover it up. He's trying to use trickery or deception to cover up his sin. And this is what we see in 2 Samuel 11, starting at verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elion, the woman of Uriah the Hitti? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Yoab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Yoab sent Uriah to El David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him, how Yoav did and how the people did and how the war prospered. So what was he doing? He was quibbling. He was like, how are things going, buddy? How, you know, here, I've slept with your wife and made her pregnant, right? But I'm going to buddy up with you and be your friend and make you think that I'm giving you some kind of special favor, right? A total deception, right? Trying to make him at ease, okay? How, how are things going out on the war field? And David said to Uriah, go down now to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah departed out from the king's house and there followed him a mess of men from the king, a mess of meat from the king. So it not only did he, he called him out of the war, he buddies up to him. He sends him to home. Oh, go relax, go wash your feet. And then he sends him gifts of, of food, of good meat, rich things, you know, enjoy yourself, right? All evasion, all evasion. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house. Why? Because he was a righteous man and his men were still out in the battle. He wasn't falling for it. He didn't fall for the deception. So Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Adonai and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, come, you not from your, came you not from your journey? Why then did you not go down to your house? He's still trying to get him. Go home and sleep with your wife so I can cover up my sin. <laughs> right? This is what he's trying to do. And Uriah said unto El David, the ark and Yasharel and Yahuda abide in tents. And my Adonai, Yoab, and the servants of my Adonai are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my woman? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He was a righteous man. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow, and then I'll let you depart. He's trying to delay his, he's like, maybe I, maybe he'll change his mind. He's delaying, using delaying tactics, trying to get him to change his mind, right? So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and made him drunk 
I mean, he's then he tries, come have dinner with me. And he piles in with alcohol, thinking this will erase your inhibitions and make you go home and sleep with your wife. And maybe that will cover up my sin. Again, another evasion tactic. All right. And when David had called him and he did eat and drink before him and he made him drunk and at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Adonai, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a sephir to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the sephir saying, set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he be may, that he may be smitten and die. So when David couldn't cover up his sin, rather than admit his sin, rather than come clean, rather than be a truth teller, he sent this innocent man to die. He committed murder, right? That's exactly what happened. And so we can see that in that subtlety, that chicanery, that quibbling. We see it played out in that, how that works. All right. So the next one I looked at was being ambiguous, right? It's a synonym. The synonym is to be obscure. Things are, are very hidden, right? So the wisdom of Solomon in 412 for the bewitching of wickedness obscures things that are honest. What a statement right there, right? The bewitching, the way it's just that you can see the spider's web, the way it beguiles you, the way it entices you, the way it, it works, that flattery, that's the bewitching. Oh, yes, let's do it like this. I mean, it's a spider's web, right? This is exactly what it is. It's bewitching. For the bewitching of wickedness obscures things. It makes it cloudy. It makes it so you can't see straight, right? If you're subject to it, if you put yourself to be subject to it, your vision's going to cloud over and you're not going to be seeing correctly. It obscures that which is honest and the wandering of lustful desire undermines the simple mind. It's saying what you should have been seeing as very black and white because truth and deception are very black and white when we look at it correctly. But when we allow our mind to be clouded with flattery and deception, then the cloudiness comes and it's hard to discern and we lose our ability to discern correctly. So then I looked at this one. Sophistry. Sophistry. Sophistry is a subtle trickery. It's using a false argument. It's presenting something in a way that seems very plausible but it's done by using a method of reasoning that is logically unsound because it contains a fallacy at the heart of it, yeah. right? It's deceptive. It's misleading. The following scriptures to me show this is used by the false priest to obtain wealth and money. In Ezekiel 22, starting in verse 23, it says, again, a message came to me from Yahweh, son of man, give the people of Yasharel this message. 
In the day of my indignation, you will be like a polluted land, a land with no rain. Your princes plot conspiracies, just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and extorting wealth. They make many widows in the land. Your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Yahweh. When Yahweh hasn't spoken a single word to them, even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. Saying, when this comes down from the from the what's considered the godly authority, the the what's supposed to be setting things in order, that it will drip down to the common people, and the common people will begin to oppress the poor. They will begin to rob the needy. And they will de deprive foreigners of true justice, right? It's just like how when we're in unity, it drips down from Aaron's head onto the beard and onto the body. Well, when we are in disunity and the leadership is corrupt, the religious leadership who should be leading the people in the correct way, those who should be the leaders of Yasharel have become corrupted through flattery through you know being led astray by their own insufficiencies and what they think they need and what they think they want and what they are they're liking being built up in themselves and put up on a pedestal as someone important right when that's what's tickling their ears they become wolves that are willing to tear their victims apart and destroy other people's lives for gain right? And this is what we see happening. And then it drips down off of them and from their teachings and from their example, and it drips down to all the people that are within their sphere of influence. This is what happens. All right. So looking at deception through trickery. All right. To trick is a crafty or an underhanded device to maneuver or stratagem. It's setting out to deceive or cheat by using a ruse or an optical illusion. Boy, isn't that big in our day, right? This is happening everywhere. And we have to be so wise to this. Do not, this is why Yahusha said that we would hear his voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. Because the optical illusions that are going to be coming our way, they're already here, but they will increase and increase and increase. And they're going to be so deceptive, 
right? So this deception through trick trickery is setting out to deceive or cheat by using a ruse or an optical illusion. It is being wily, right? Or using your wiles. We've all heard that. Oh, she used her feminine wiles, right? To entice, to entrap to ensnare. It's using purposeful and artful behavior to beguile with deceit and trickery. When I saw that purposeful and artful, what is it to be an artist is to be an actor, right? You're putting on an act, okay? You're being an actor and you're using it purposefully to try to beguile someone to to get them into your deceit to trick them right all right so this is kind of a long scripture but wow when i saw this i was like boy does this spell out what this is in the scriptures it's in the book the wisdom of solomon i'm reading all of chapter two in a smidgen of chapter three okay so starting in chapter two verse one for the wicked said, reasoning within themselves, but not aright. <laughs> Our life is short and tedious. And in the death of a man, there is no remedy. They're like, you know what? Our life's only going to be so long and we're all going to die. <laughs> right? We haven't found a way out of that yet. We're trying to, but we haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Was there... Neither was there any man known to have returned from the grave. We don't even know how to make ourselves come back yet. <laughs> we promote reincarnation, but we don't know how to make it happen. <laughs> for, we are, for we are born at all adventure and we shall hereafter as though we had never been. Right? Paul tells us that our life is but a puff of smoke. Gone. Like a wildflower. Gone. Right? Um. For we are born at all adventure and we shall hereafter as though we'd never been. For the breath in our nostrils is a smoke and a little spark in the moving of our heart. Okay, our heartbeat. Which being extinguished, it's like once this is put out, our body shall going to be turned into ashes. So everything they're saying is true so far. All of this is true. Their reasoning is correct so far, right? This is all true. And our Ruach shall vanish as the soft air. Now, that's not quite true. <laughs> There's where they're deceived. It doesn't just vanish. <laughs> There's a price to pay. All right. And our name shall be forgotten in time. But this is what they're telling themselves, right? This is how they're convincing themselves that they can get away with whatever they want to get away with. Because they have deceived themselves, right? That there will be no price to pay. Our name shall be forgotten in time and no man shall have our works and remembrance and our life shall pass away as the trace of a cloud and shall be dispersed as a mist that is driven away with the beams of the sun and overcome with the heat thereof. For our time is a very shadow that passes away and after our end there is no returning for it is fast sealed so that no man cometh again. That's right. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment for our time. Oh, okay. Come on, therefore. So this is this is their reasonings. Okay. If this is what's going to happen, you know, come on, therefore, let us enjoy the good things that are present. Let's party, man. 
<laughs> this is all we're ever going to get. <laughs> Let's do it upright. Let's party till we drop. That's what they're saying. All right. And let us speedily use the creatures like as in youth. You know, there's probably a lot in that that I'm not going to totally delve into. Okay. Let us fill ourselves with costly wine and ointments and let no flower of the spring pass us by. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they be withered. Let none of us go without his part of our voluptuousness, right? We deserve this. That's what they're saying. Let us leave tokens of our joyfulness in every place, for this is our portion and our lot is this. What do you think drag time, drag queen story hour is all about? Let us leave tokens of our joyfulness. To them, it's a joy. And they're going to push it on everyone, right? Let us oppress the poor righteous man. Let us not spare the widow, nor reverence the ancient gray hairs of the aged. Let our strength be the law of justice. For that which is feeble is found to be nothing worth. They're saying <laughs> gentleness, self-control, meekness means nothing to us. We'll put our boot on it. We'll stamp it out to the best of our ability. Therefore, let us lie in wait for the righteous because he is not for our turn and he is clean contrary to our doings. He upbraids us with our offending the Torah and objects to our infamy, the transgressings of our education. I mean, can you see them? They're so offended at those that would want to do the right thing, that would want to keep Torah, that would want to honor Yah, right? Just so offended. He professes to have the knowledge of Elohim and he calls himself the child of Yahweh. This is what they're so offended at. Why is this what they're so offended at? The fact that we that are doing our best to live a righteous life would call ourselves children of Yahweh, children of the Most High. We're going to see this again in a second, and I'm going to go into that. He was made to reprove our thoughts. He's grievous unto us to even behold. It's like we can't even stand looking at those Bible thumpers. We hate those people, right? He's grievous for us even to behold, for his life is not like other men's. His ways are of another fashion. They won't just go along with the program. They won't just be good citizens and obey the science, yeah. right? They won't do that. <laughs> we are esteemed of him as counterfeit. They say that we're counterfeit. They say that we're liars. They say that we're deceptive. These righteous people, these Bible thumpers, they say that about us, right? All right. He abstains from our ways as from filthiness. He pronounces the end of the just to be blessed and makes his boast that Elohim is his father, right? So to me, when I look at this, when I see this, the thing that they're most offended about is that we would dare to even refer to ourselves as children of the living Yahweh, right? That, that we would dare say that about ourselves. Now, why is that? When you look at, at Enoch 
and you see the fall of the watchers, you see that they were called Beneha Elohim, right? Sons of, of Yahweh, sons of Elohim, right? And so that was their title, but they fell. They fell, right? And so now the fact that those of us that are flesh and blood would dare to say, and we shall be as he is when we are with him, right? We know that we'll be changed in an instant, right? So these people that are so riled up because all the all that that the enemy hates, that the fallen watchers hate, they're working through people. So it manifests through people, but there's a puppet master on the other side of that person. And this is what we need to keep in mind. It's in Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Continuing on out of the wisdom of Solomon, chapter two, starting again in verse 17. Let us see if his words be true and let us prove what shall happen in the end of him. For if the just man be the son of Elohim, there it is a third time, right? This is what they're so offended about. For if the just man be the son of Elohim, he will help him and deliver him from the hand of his enemies. Let him let us examine him with despitefulness and torture that we may know his meekness and prove his patience. Just what Lee was just talking about. What did what did Yahusha say to Peter? Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. And he was allowed to, right? Let us condemn him with a shameful death, for by his own saying he shall be respected. Such things did they imagine and were deceived, for their own wickedness hath blinded them. They are blind. As for the mysteries of Elohim, they knew them not, neither hope they for the wages of righteousness, nor discerned a reward for blameless souls. They don't get it that there's a huge reward for the blameless souls, right? They can't see it. They can't get it. It's not entering into their thought patterns. It's not part of their reasoning. For Elohim created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. Nevertheless, through envy of the devil came death into the world. And they that do hold of his side do find it. This is a really interesting verse here, right? Through envy of the devil. What happened when that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was presented to Eve and to Adam, right? You will be like Elohim. You'll know good from evil. You'll be like us, the watchers. You'll be like us, right? You'll be like a Beneha Elohim. And so mankind, flesh, envied the position of the Beneha Elohim and sinned and fell. That's what happened, right? Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the souls of the righteous are in the hand of Elohim. I love the scripture that says, listen, I've engraved you on the palm of my hand, mm -hmm. right? We are in his hand, okay? Mm -hmm. 
The souls of the righteous are in the hand of Elohim, and there shall no torment touch them. In the sight of the unwise, they seemed to die. When they sawed Isaiah in half because they hated him, he seemed to die, right? And he did ache in the flesh, right? And their departures taken for, oh, that's just misery, because in their mind, they have told themselves and lied to themselves and told themselves once the end of this life is all there is, right? That, that there's nothing coming next. They have deceived themselves into believing this, right? So they're saying, that's it. It's just misery. We did away with him. We sawed him in half and now he's gone forever. He's no more. And they're going from us to be utter destruction. But actually, they are in peace, right? Because that's what to be absent from the body for a believer is to be in the presence of Yahweh. This is what scripture tells us. So then in, I'm in, in, in uh, Wisdom of Solomon, chapter three, verse four, for though they be published, uh, for though they be punished in the sight of men, yet is their hope full of immortality and having been a little chastised, they shall be greatly rewarded for mm -hmm. Elohim proved them and found them worthy for himself as gold in the furnace hath he tried them and received them as a burnt offering. And in the time of their visitation, they shall shine and run to and fro like sparks among the stubble. They shall judge the nations and have dominion over the people and their Yahweh shall reign forever. They that put their trust in him shall understand the truth and such as be faithful in love shall abide with him for grace and mercy is to his saints and he hath care for his elect. I loved that scripture. I thought that was a great one. All right, a little bit more here on this subject. Matthew 10 starting in 16. Yahushua said, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the other nations. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Ruach of your father, which speaks in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death and the father of the child and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Amen. He gave us what we need to put in our tool bank. So here's kind of what I wrote about this. Wisdom is the ability to discern between good and evil and all the little shades and nuances that approach good and evil. What's in the clouds? What's in the mist, right? Pretending that evil does not exist is self-deception that has no resemblance to courageous faith. 
many people try to avoid avoid these topics with everything you know well i'm just waiting for the rapture you know, I'm just, you know, going to put my head in the sand and not pay attention to any of this and not get involved. I'm going to go build myself a bunker up in the hills and make sure I've got plenty of food. And then y'all's going to rapture me out of here and I'm not going to have to worry about this. This is not courageous faith, right? Courageous faith does not look like that. So I really like this quote by David Guzik. He does commentaries through the Bible and I enjoy some of what he shares and so he had this, this quote that I loved and it said, in hours of darkness and grief, of, and grief, true prophets hold out hope to the children of God, to the children of Yahweh. This is how you can discern as it gets darker, we hold out a real hope. The hope is in Yah and his kingdom, not in this world and not in saving this world and not in, you know, making America great again or building back better or any of this. This is not our hope. Our hope is in his kingdom, right? Opportunistic prophets manufacture their message to suit the hour that they're living in, right? I thought that was just incredible. All right. So here in Sirach, chapter 3, starting in 17. My son, go on with your business in meekness. So shall you be beloved of him that is approved. The greater you are, the more humble yourself, and you shall find favor before Yahweh. It's like if you see that you're being elevated, you better be getting on your face in humility because you're nobody. Don't start thinking you're all that in a bag of chips. If I'm allowing you to be elevated, it's because I am flowing through you. It doesn't have anything to do with you. I picked you up out of the trash heap, right? (laughs) I picked you up out of your self-destruction. I picked you up out of your mess. And the only thing that's elevated about you is me. So you better keep that straight in your mind. This is what he's saying to those who are the prophetic voice. Do not get impressed with yourself. All right. My son, go on with your business in meekness. So shall you be beloved of him that is approved. The greater you are, the more humble yourself and you shall find favor before Yahweh. Many are in high place and of renown, but mysteries are revealed unto the meek. You want to know me? You want to know my secrets? You want to hear my voice? You better be getting on your face in humility and meekness before me, right? Because that's the only way you're going to know what's really on my heart. There's where my mysteries are revealed. For the power of Yahweh is great, and he is honored of the lowly. One of my favorite verses, verses, and I know it applies to my life. He chooses the foolish things of this world, the base things of this world, the lowly things of this world to confound those who think they are wise. (laughs) I've always said that's my commission (laughs) because he likes to use the foolish. That would be me. (laughs) So it says, seek not out things that are too hard for you. Neither search the things that are above your strength. You know, especially in this day with the technology and the way that knowledge has increased, there is a true fascination 
with what evil is up to. And everybody's trying to pull it apart and figure it out and be the one with the right word. And we know what's happening and we're going to inform you. And we're the ones that have the truth and we're going to expose it. And he's saying there's certain things that are too hard for you. Be humble, right? Don't do that to yourself. Neither search the things that are above your strength. There are certain things that are going to be happening. I believe here very shortly, right? That are going to be way beyond what a human mind can comprehend because Mm -hmm. we're dealing with ancient technology of the fallen watchers. And we are not equipped to deal with that. Yah is equipped to deal with that, right? But in our humanity, we're not. We don't know those things. And and if we, we get on YouTube and this, that, and the other, and we start spouting, we know, and we know this, and this is how it is, and this, we're going to fall off that pedestal really fast. It's going to be like, whoosh, I saw Satan fall like lightning, right? I mean, and this is what's going to happen to those who are putting themselves out there this way. This is what's going to happen. Seek not things that... Seek not out things that are too hard for you, neither search out the things that are above your strength, but what is commanded you. We all have our own job to do, you know, and this is why we're not to envy, right? Because we do have a place in what's taking place, right? Each of us has a sphere of influence and we need to know what that is and what our place in it is. And we need to be humble and grateful for the place and the part that we are playing. But what is commanded you Think thereupon with reverence. Be grateful for your part, for it is not needful for you to see with your eyes the things that are in secret, right? It doesn't have to manifest before you in a vision. He will speak to us what we need to know. Be not curious in unnecessary matters, for more things are showed unto you than men understand. If you're his, he's already sharing his secrets with you. For many are deceived by their own vain opinion and an evil suspicion has overthrown their judgment. Wow. When you get fascinated with evil, you develop an evil suspicion of things. And you can't even recognize those who are operating in a spirit of meekness, humility, and truth that might have been sent to help you. Right? And you just discount them and throw them away. Right. Because this evil suspicion that you've drawn yourself to has now charged you and you have your judgment been overthrown. You have no discernment left. It's amazing. All right. That is what I had. Amen, Cheryl. That was brilliant. There's so much in there, wasn't there? There was a lot in there. (laughs) That was amazing. So good. I love the part at the beginning where you were talking. Uh, was it the chicanery that was the hook? Yeah. So, boy, doesn't it work like that, though? It hooks you yeah. when people are elevating you, you know, pump, puffing you up. You get hooked into thinking that your importance, you know, is yours. You yeah. Know, I did yeah. this. This is. I did that. That's my importance, but it should always be focused on him. You know, yeah. it, it reminds me about ourselves. 
You know, it reminded me, you know, Laura Lee and I've been talking a lot about trauma. You and I've been talking some about trauma. You know, we all kind of do. We're we're focusing some on these things that have have done damage to us in the past. Well, all of us living in this day of age, you know, are probably dealing with some level of abandonment, rejection. You know, we've all got these things. They're hurts, they're wounds, they're traumas to our own Ruach, right? To our mm-hmm. own soul, their soul ties, their soul wounds, you know? And when those have not been healed and then you have a place of prominence, right? And it has not been dealt with completely. As, as Laura Lee likes to say, the snake skin hasn't been shed, right? But you're still covered in it and it's still part of who you are. Well, that's where that hook is. And our enemy has studied us. He knows he'll send just the right person with just the right words of flattery to hook that thing in you and send you off reeling into never, never land. And there goes your ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly 100% the truth. And after you get hooked, then you're convinced that it's a do, do what you will, right? Do what you will at that point, at that point. Then you're, you're delving out sensationalism instead of just the pure righteousness of the words of Yahweh, you know? Right. Yeah, that was just excellent. There was so much in there. And wow, it is. It's what's happening every day with so many areas uh, of our lives. You know, you even see it in politics and you see it in the conflicts that are going on throughout the whole world. Like I'm going to look at reports in a whole different way now (laughs) because I'm going to understand exactly what Ruach is behind them pulling their strings. And that's really what that is, is a lot of string pulling. um, It is. It's like a huge puppet master. You can see it, you know, there's the strings hanging down and they're going, Oh, let's jerk them this way. Oh no, let's jerk that one. You know, that's exactly what it is. That's what I was going to say to you about when you're talking about the sophistry. We can see that so much in what's happened in the last two years. Like the influence from the top has worked its way down to the common people. And even the common people are there to tell you, put your mask back on or, you know, that, and it's all for destruction and monetary gain. And you can really see that in, in what you, you know, in what you were saying. Well, um, and yeah, can't we see how in the common people where, you know, maybe I've been, you know, discounted all my life, but now I'm a clerk in a store and now I have power and now I have importance and now what I say matters and that mask better not fall below your nose because finally I have some kind of authority and say they were hooked yeah. by that. Got on yeah. their own little power trip. Yeah. <laughs> people do don't they and they're given that little bit of authority they can often go on a power trip and it's really sad and the other thing that i thought was really sad is that people like to be deceived they like the flattering lip they like the tickled ears and they're happy to sit in their deception and again we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years people loving to be deceived yeah yeah they do they want to be 
be pumped up. You know, yeah. they want somebody to notice me. And I think uh, the deception in the last three years has primarily been about that because what do we see? Oh, you're a great citizen if you've taken this or done that or if you're doing this. We're even going to give you more freedom. Right. Well, if you have to do something to be free, you're not free. That yes, wasn't exactly. free. There's no freedom in that. No, no. <laughs> in fact, you were actually owned more yeah. because you jumped through their hoops, you know. Yeah. But that's what you were saying about, um, and I've seen it. Uh, I was a church secretary many, many moons ago, and I've seen that behavior as well, where people will come in and they pump this one person up and they have separated them yes. at that point from the fold, from those that were working together in unison to, to raise the word of Yah, to actually do what we're called to do. Um, right. And it turned into something else. And then all of them left the church. You know, it yeah. was like, yeah. that was a divide and conquer scheme by Hasatan. Just like in that do as you do as thou wilt uh, way of life that you mentioned, um, like the uh, transgender where they're reading in the libraries. Yeah. It and they're convincing parents that you're a good parent if what? you're accepting of this. And it, I can't hardly watch it. I just am yeah. in tears and heartbroken. Um, it just hurts at a level where you're like, whoa. This yeah. is not at all what that means. <laughs> yeah. No, I get like that, Lee. I get really upset at seeing those things and, and how the parents in particular are just so accepting of it. But, you know, I always remember that verse, mark them in the forehead that cry and sigh for the abominations. You know, yes. praise y'all, we may have that mark. Yeah, I love that verse, Kat. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Keeps me strong, that one, when I'm yeah. broken from the abominations that we're seeing. It's just yeah, heartbreaking, isn't it? You know, when you're reading um, Wisdom of Solomon, I kept getting this phrase in my head. It's a Latin phrase, and it's memento mori, and it means remember we must all die. You know, it's about having that memento to remind you that you will die one day, and you can really see in that, can't you? Yeah. That's what they were all doing, remembering right. they will die, so they'll make the most of their time here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm being smarty pants knowing a Latin phrase. I know it from a song that's not very smarty pants. <laughs> <laughs> you are pretty smarty pants, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> but in a very good way. <laughs> we will say about that, won't we? <laughs> All right. Well, my lovely ladies, you both did such a good job. It's going to be difficult to follow. I'm sure you will. <laughs> I will do my best. Okay. Let's get us set up. And about halfway through, I've got little something to share on the screen. I can't get my screen to work right now. I keep pressing stuff and just keeps making it bigger. Shell, can you do it for me? Yes, let me. <laughs> Thank you, my there dear. Okay. It just wasn't working for me. I don't know why. It's just making our screen go bigger. <laughs> okay. So they say imitation is the biggest form of flattery. This is often said to the person being imitated to make them feel better about the situation that they find themselves in. And while that may be the case, the person should be flattered. Someone wants to be like them. 
it should also be noted it is one of the biggest forms of deception that there is. Emulation is all about imitation. The dictionary defines it as an effort to match or surpass a person in achievement. It's all about wanting to be somebody else. It leans towards both envy and trying to deceive people into thinking you're something you're not. And wanting to be someone you're not, envying them. To me, its roots seem to lie with competitiveness and a lack of self-love. A lack of understanding that Yah made you to be you in his image. Being unhappy in who you are, so wanting to be like somebody else. Deceiving others in this way is 100% a form of lying and would involve, involve both the spirit of lying, as you'd be lying to others about yourself and about who you were truly born to be, and a lying tongue, as your words most likely would not be of your own, of the person that you're trying to imitate. I know being comfortable in your own skin and in who you are is a very difficult thing to do. I've expressed this to shell myself. <laughs> the power of words, the words have had on you that have been spoken over you from friends and family, classmates, teachers, lovers, colleagues, strangers, yourself, have all taken their toll. You have compared yourself to the images of those on TV, magazines and the internet, bombarded by pictures of people with perfect faces, bodies, home life. You look at yourself and only see flaws, only see the mistakes you made. You forget the power of makeup, Photoshop and such like. You see the cropped image, the real picture taken out of the frame. You see the smile and miss the tears, the arguments and the pain that seconds before were there. As I have said before, they may say a picture speaks a thousand words, but I say a picture tells a thousand lies. It's like makeup. It hides the scars. It changes how you appear to others, but underneath you're still the same broken person. It is an illusion. The internet and social media are a breeding ground for this deception and lies, a chamber of emulation. Everybody is trying to be like everybody else. Competitiveness is rife. After spending 10 minutes looking at someone else's Facebook or Instagram and seeing only their best pictures, best life, you start thinking, what is wrong with me? You don't see the hundred of selfies they took trying to get that one perfect one. You don't see the mess of their house and life that is on the edges of the picture. You only see perfection. And why wouldn't you? After all, it's what they wanted you to see. We only ever want to portray ourselves in the best light. And so does everybody else. What does this tell the viewer, though, in their brain that they're not good enough? It may stir up some of those words that were spoken over them. Instead of hearing that still small voice, they hear that devil on their shoulder telling them how imperfect they are. All these things lead us to wanting to be something we're not and lead us to want to emulate others. It's a lack of not knowing who you are or not liking who you are. And it all makes you want to be somebody else. It's like the thing we're all we all here at Heart of the Tribe have been talking about within the body of Messiah, the foot wanting to be the head. Thinking another's role is better than yours. Another person has it better than you. 
and trying to take their place. It's that envy that Lee has been talking about and all the things in shells, which words I probably can't even remember, that Shell is talking about. It's all about wanting to be a different person. When you are emulating, you are trying to take the place of another. It's not just a form of lying about who you are, but also a form of stealing too, because you're stealing that person's life force when you're trying to be them. Now, there are some practical steps that we can take to overcome this. A big one would be to stay off social media. And if you can't do that, you must remember Photoshop, the parts of the picture you can't see, and the thousand it took to get that one perfect one. You can speak kind words to yourselves. These are all worldly secular ways of dealing with this, but there are scriptorial ones too. So, oh, why has it done that one when I've pressed it? Okay, <laughs> there we go. So in Isaiah, Hosea, said the wrong name then, we are told about the Ruach of not and so in Isaiah we're told of the Ruach of knowledge. In Hosea 4 6 we read, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Having knowledge of who we are in Messiah, of who we were created to be, who he created us, and in whose image we were created, can do wonders in helping us overcome. Overcome this want to be someone we're not, overcoming emulating other people. It helps us to be content in who we are and who we were created to be. Psalm 139, 13 to 18. For I have purposed you, in my, I have possessed you in my mind. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance yet being imperfect and in your sephir all my members were written, which in, in continuance were fashioned when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O well. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This psalm reminds us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that every part of us was written down in the, in the in a sefer of the Shamayim before we even came into being, that yours every thought towards us is only wonderful, and there are more wonderful thoughts about us than the sands of the sea. Knowledge is power and freeing knowing how important we are to Yah, that he took stock of us before we were even born, that he only thinks good thoughts towards us. Just how blessed are we that our father thinks of you, me, and everybody else in that way. But when he's thinking of you, he's not thinking about somebody else. When Yah created us, he did so after the likeness of him. So Elohim created man in his own image. In the image of Elohim created he him. Male and female, he created them. We are made to look like him. And every person is a different aspect of him. When we try to be like somebody else, we are saying this part of Yah is insufficient. 
Matthew 10.30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He doesn't count the person's hairs you're trying to be like and trying to compare yourself to and assign them to you. He knows every head on every hair on your head, yours, because you are precious to him. In the testimony of Reuben, we are told about seven other Ruachs that are given at creation. The fifth Ruach, the power of speech, which comes with knowledge. Our words have so much power that they can create our reality. It was demonstrated in the beginning when Yah said, let there be light and there was light. We are told in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. In Matthew 15.8, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. When we have knowledge of the power our words have, we are able to change both perception and reality. If we are created in Yah's image, it is fair to say we, cre we were created with the ability for our words to create our reality. About four weeks ago, I did a mercy poured forth on this very subject. There I gave real life examples of this in action. I spoke about a friend of mine who had spoken death over herself and it, it became her reality. One of the words I looked at in the study was a word translated as lips and it is found in Proverbs 3.13 too quickly that time <laughs> he that guards his mouth guards his life but he that opens wide his lips shall have destruction the word is safeth and actually shell looked at this word in great detail yesterday on her um, oto class as well and it was really interesting because we were seeing how it's like the bank of a river or the seashore and how it, it can either hold something in or let stuff out, depending on what you allow it to do. Really interesting on the OTO class that she did yesterday. And you can see it in all those words. It's in the words on the screen. You know, it's a bank, a brink, an edge, a shore. It's speech, it's talking, it's vain words, interestingly, as well as a lip. So in the pictographs, we get a very telling image the destructive words or a covenant, the things we speak that are destructive become reality. When we speak and think destructive words about ourselves, we are in fact making a covenant for those words. But when we speak pleasant things, we can use our words to overcome a negative self-image. In Genesis, when Yah said, let there be light, the word said in the Hebrew is the word Amar, this word. <laughs> and its pictographs tell us our speech, our words are the strength within the waters of man. Good words strengthen the waters within and we are made so much of water. The word Amar means to appoint and command. What are we commanding over ourselves when we're speaking into those waters? When we are comparing and trying to emulate others, we are also lacking peace. Seeking the fruit of the spirit of 
peace, shalom, and I loved Leeds' explanation of that word earlier, may be a good way to overcome this. When we have a storm raging inside the waters of us, we need to find a calm. And that calm comes from keeping our eyes fixed on Yahusha. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace with Yah and with who he made you to be. After all, he made you for such a time as this. And your role is just as vital and important as everybody else's. In John 10, 10, we read, The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Don't let the words and thoughts steal your peace and joy in who Yah created you to be. Don't look at others and wish that you were them. We all make mistakes. We all have downfalls, even the person that you were wishing that you were like. But those mistakes and downfalls do not define who we are. Yah doesn't see the past. He only sees the person we were born to be and one day will be. And what if we are emulating a person who thinks, um, who we think is walking with Yah, but is in fact working for the other side we really must be careful to try to try not and emulate anyone other than the messiah we are told to walk as he walked not walk as others who appear to walk as he did after all you will be following imperfection for only one is perfect when thoughts of self-dislike arise remember who yah created you in the image of Remember, his thoughts are only wonderful about you. Speak those power-creating words over yourself and keep your eyes fixed on your Adonai and Saviour. And do not be of the devil, telling yourself nothing but lies. John eight forty four. For you are of the far of you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So my lovely ladies, do we have any thoughts? <laughs> Had to unmute. <laughs> that was great. I, I I really love that. When you're talking about a picture tells a thousand lies. Wow. That's that was so powerful because it can. I mean, what you were describing about the fact that, you know, we don't think about the mess that the room is in that's right outside of the frame. We don't yeah. think about those things. And and that's the absolute truth of the situation. You know, it, it's, that's what this whole internet age is like. It's so deceptive. And, and, you know, when we compare ourselves only to that, instead of seeing the whole house, instead of seeing the whole picture, instead of seeing the reality of things, it's very deceptive and we can fool ourselves greatly. Yeah. 
I, I really liked that. Amen. I agree with that completely. And honestly, that's why I left Facebook is I knew that what was being represented all the time was not the truth of the matter, but yet it would still make you feel. Thank you, brother D. It would still make me feel inadequate or, you know, I don't look like that. My house is not like that, you know, envy and jealousy. Um, and I really feel like most of these platforms are made by Hasatan to, to do just that, right? To take yeah. away our uniqueness um, because we are made in his image and he, he finds beauty in each of us or he would not have made us that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I love that now. I used to look at myself and see every imperfection, you know, the scars, the whatever I have that isn't perfect. But now I'm like, wow, this was his tapestry. And this is what he decided I would be. And and who am I to say that that's not beautiful to him? Because it is. Or he wouldn't have made me this way. Right. You know? And that's important. I wish our children... Um, could realize what they're being fed all the time is, is a lie. Um, I saw something earlier on YouTube and it was a, another ministry uh, showing, I guess his daughter had been uh, seen some picture of this beautiful model and she was in workout apparel. And, but then the, the behind the scenes where they were putting all these body prosthetics in places, you know, from her rear everywhere else. And he showed his daughter was like, this is all fake. It's all fake. And it made her, you know, realize this is all fake. Why am I even watching this? You know, yeah. I wish people would see there's a lot. <laughs> Those women don't look like that. Yeah. They're not having a picture made. They they don't look like that at all. Like <laughs> they that's, don't. that's the fakest fakeness that ever was. Um, but wow, it's this was such a wonderful talk, Kat. Like it, awesome. It was. You know, one of my favorite parts is what you were talking about with Psalm one thirty nine, and and bringing that up because to me personally, that was a huge tool in my life to when, cause I would just be assaulted by that stuff because I, I'd come out of such a, a, a rough place and you land in the church system and, and um, you know, your rough past still shows and it's not very comfortable and you feel like I'm never going to fit in with these, you know, everybody's a goody two shoe, but me, everybody's never done anything wrong, but me, I'm the black sheep. I mean, just all this mess. Right. And yeah. you, you're the ruts that we were talked about that stinking thinking ruts were so deep in my mind that y'all really used Psalm 139 in my life to, to heal, you know, to, to say, you are special to me. I do love you. You have a place, you know, and, and that, cause that was very hard for me to believe. And, and easily, I was very easily envious of other people and the gifts that I saw that they had and, you know, life that I saw that they had. And I knew that I'd made a wreck of my life. You know, my life was a wreck. It really was. It's not today. It's beautiful. It's wonderful because 
Yah in time and time with him and time in his word, things heal and they straighten out. But it takes time, you know, and and I was not patient at all. <laughs> and but Psalm 139 gave me a lot of hope when things would start getting out of control for me emotionally, then yeah. Psalm 139 would help. Well, shall know you're in the club of people who made a mess of their life and y'all had to straighten it back out because yeah. I definitely have that badge. <laughs> that t-shirt. <laughs> in fact, I just lived in that shop where it was called Make a Mess of Your Life. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Rivka, I see your comment on here and, and thank you. We are going to be keeping you in prayer. We are. Mm-hmm. So, my ladies, this has been absolutely wonderful today and really good. Like, we've looked into so many different things about ways of deception and lying. You know, who knew that a lying tongue could encompass so much more than just someone telling lies? Right. <laughs> lying is so much deeper than telling a lie, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it it's is. lying about who you are and trying to take from others what they want, what they've got. Yeah. It's about, it's exactly that, trying to take from others what they want. And that's why envy was so important in all of this, because all of those things, the root cause of all of that deceptive behavior is in the envying. And it's really interesting that we've been able to draw draw from that and come up with such wonderful ways of knowing who we are in our Messiah and who Yah has made us to be. And, you know, I know you were talking on truth today, Shal, and that's it, isn't it? It's the truth of yeah. who Yah has called us to be and not who Hasatan has tried to make us become. Right. Tell us that we need to be in order to be acceptable. Yeah. It's all a lie. It is. It's you know, it's drilled into you from the moment that you can talk how you are supposed to be. I actually was saying today, you know, I think yesterday, that school is to teach you how to be that good citizen. Yes. How to think, how to act, how to dress. And, you know, and the other children are there to make sure you stay in line because mm -hmm. they make you feel very uncomfortable when you don't bend to that mold. <laughs> yeah, they they, they don't like those that color outside of the lines. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I love you both very dearly. And I thank you both for being here with us today. And I thank everybody in the comments, Rivka, Laura Lee, uh, my lovely husband, Tammy, Helen, uh, I said Tammy just then, Jennifer, Edith, Marty, I saw a... Um, a lady called Deborah has joined us today, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Seeing lots of new names and people with us today. And it's just marvelous that Yara okay. is, is using this lovely little group of ladies to bring his work <laughs> forth and to break down deception. We're breaking down those walls of deception. So mm -hmm. I pray that this has been fruitful for everybody. And to my mum, who I've just seen there. Yes. <laughs> Please all know that we all have these downfalls. There's not one lady sat on this 
panel of ladies that has not in one way or another done these things themselves, I guarantee you that they all have. Absolutely. Okay. Um, um, we must learn to fight that flesh, but no one is perfect. That's and right. if they say they are, then they're a big fat stinking liar. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Let's keep overcoming those lying tongues and spirits with the truth of yours word. And I'm going to ask everybody join us again tomorrow on Heart of the Tribe when James will be bringing his mercy poured forth at 9.30 EST. Mm -hmm. And then James and Shell will be live at 10 a.m. with the Besora and Half Torah, the yeah. Let's Talk Torah. And that will be followed by Chris McIntyre at 1 p.m. EST with Out of Africa. And to round up the day, the wonderful Robert Wagner will be live with another Saved by Grace for us all. And that's at 7 p.m. EST, midnight if they're in the UK. But I am telling you, worth staying up for. He does such a wonderful presentation. And I, I love hearing everything that Robert has to say. He shares such a wonderful story. And his story is showing you that nobody is perfect. So once again, thank you all for watching. We hope to see you all again next time on Walking in the Word. So shalom, everybody. Shalom. shalom. Day and night and night and day, the living creatures give their praise. To him who lives eternally, they never cease from saying, Holy, holy is Yahweh.